I'm Isabel Dye. And I'm Rosa. Welcome, Welcome to, to All, All Girls, Girls Considered. Considered, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of inspiring women and girls. Today we are speaking with Alice Driver, a bilingual journalist, translator, and video producer based in Mexico City. Welcome, Ms. Driver. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing right now? I'm good. I am in my office in Mexico City, which is really just part of my apartment. So <laughs> that's good. So you've been working in Mexico recently, and uh, would you could you tell us a bit more about the project that you're doing? Um, I have a bunch of projects uh, at any given time, um, and right now I'm working. Um, I've been working for the past year and a half on my first radio story for Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Uh, it's I followed a, a transgender woman from El Salvador to the U.S. as she migrated and requested asylum, and she got asylum, and she now lives in San Diego. And so the, the radio story is the, is the entire trip from El Salvador to the US, U.S., her experience in detention, and her experience living in San Diego. And so that hopefully will be out this March. So uh, how did you get started with the, that project in particular? Um, so that project is in 2016, right before Trump came into office. Um, I was working, I was, so I, I wrote a book about um, violence against women on the US-Mexico border. And a lot of the victims of violence were migrants. And so after I finished my book, I decided I wanted to work on migration as a subject. And I applied for fellowships. And I got a fellowship to, to, to start a project, a long-term project on migration. And I knew I wanted to cover um, undercovered aspects of migration, which are really any story that's not the story of a man essentially is an undercovered story. So I knew I wanted to work with women, girls, and the LGBTQ community. Um, and so it just sort of grew organically. I did, um, I got support to do a series of pieces and I reported the per first piece from Mexico. And then the second piece I wanted to do, I wanted to work with trans women because I know that in Latin America they experience some of the highest levels of violence and persecution discrimination and that um, just from interviews I knew that El Salvador was the most dangerous country for trans women so I went to El Salvador to interview trans women and it just so happened that I met a woman who was going to she was fleeing the country because she had survived attempted assassination and she was going to request asylum in the U.S., and I asked if I could travel with her. So it was really a chance meeting in that sense. Um, what were some of the most memorable moments for you um, from that project? Um, well, I met this really amazing um, trans woman who uh, founded an NGO in El Salvador. She, I mean, a lot of these women, they... Um, uh, in, a, in, in places where there's so much discrimination, they don't, they're not allowed to go to school. You know, as soon as they start, start showing any sort of um, effeminate gestures or dressing as women, anything, they get kicked out of school, they get kicked out of their homes. So 
Um, this woman I met, her name is Carla Avalar, and she's a famous human rights defender. She um, she has no formal education. She never finished uh, elementary school, and she experienced a lot of violence. She was a sex worker, but she, she went on to found an NGO to support uh, the LGBTQ community in El Salvador, and she's worked with the UN, and she's, I mean, she's just learned so much on her own, and I, and I find her work really inspiring. So getting to meet her and work with her and interview her was um, really uh, influential on my way of thinking and, and doing this project. Um, could you tell us what these travels are like for you and the people that you work with? So I'm often, um, um, the kind of stories that I'm interested in are, um, not, not, um, directly related to the news in terms of like what has president Trump done today. I'm not really interested in that story because I'm interested more in the long, long-term effects of what does migration look like for people who are migrating, you know, and what stories are those people telling and what are the reasons what's happening on the ground? That's really more what I'm interested in. Um, and so for example, in last August I was in Reynosa, which is across from McAllen, Texas. It's a quite dangerous area of Mexico. And I worked on a project on, on underage migrants. So, you know, boys and girls who are under the age of 18 who travel alone, who migrate alone from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. Um, because I think that's a story like in the U.S. I, I hear so many people say, oh, they should stay at home. Those migrants are lazy. Why don't they just stay in their own country? And I think if you tell the story of a, let's say, a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old girl who traveled alone, from El Salvador to the U.S. I mean, that's, it's an amazing story. I mean, what, what must a person be fleeing to make that journey? And so I'm sort of interested in stories that can give people different perspectives on migration. Uh, so what's a personal story that's stuck with you throughout all the stories of migrants coming to the U.S.? So in, for example, in Reynosa, I met a, a girl who was, I think she was 16, maybe 15, who had traveled from uh, from Honduras alone. Um, she was fleeing violence at home, had a violent stepfather. But um, she said that she basically loved to read maps and she just decided, you know, I'm going to escape this violent situation. And I'm, she said she just studied maps and like, mapped out her journey to from Honduras to the U.S., and she dressed like a, a man to make that journey because she was worried about experiencing violence. And she said, you know, it was a, a difficult journey, but it was also for her empowering, and it was the first time she had traveled, and she found, you know, part of that a really positive experience for her in terms of of seeing that she could could make a journey like that on her own. So what are these uh, kids or people who are more likely underage, what are they usually like whenever you meet them? So I interviewed a couple. I went to two different shelters for children. Um, 
And, you know, some of the children are traveling with parents, either with a mother or an aunt. Um, so I met a mother traveling with her three daughters, um, two eight-year-olds who were alone at the shelter, but they had traveled with an aunt. And a lot of times they're actually, they're coming to the U.S. to be reunited with family members. Like they had, in the case of the two eight-year-old girls, they had either a mother or a father who was living and working in the U.S. and had been in the U.S. for a long time. Um, and so I feel like people in the U.S. forget or don't recognize that a lot of times children are coming to the U.S. to be reunited with their parents. What kind of emotional impacts has this had on you throughout the years? Because, you know, they're, they're young kids and they're fleeing something that kids should never have to even come to face with and so what kind of impacts has that had on you emotionally um i mean it's definitely um sometimes it's uh hard it can be i mean you want to be in terms of me as a journalist i want to be respectful you know i want to make sure i've got all the the permissions that i need to do the kind of work i'm doing i don't want them to i want them to talk about only you know i don't want to traumatize them at all so I definitely um, take, I try and take their feelings into consideration in terms of what they want to share. And for me, it's sometimes you know, it does have an impact on me as well. But for the most part, um, for the most part, I feel like they want to share their stories, and I also want to share them in a way that will that will give people a new kind of understanding of, of what, you know, what migration looks like. And so I, for the most part, I feel, you know, I feel um, inspired even by the really difficult stories. Um, even if they're traumatic, there's often a component of their stories. that's really amazing or, you know, that they've overcome a lot in their lives and they're still, hopeful and they still want to study and they want to be a doctor or, you know, a teacher or, and so that part of the work is always really moving for me. So why do you believe that it's important to share the, uh, their stories? In the United States right now, immigration is become a very divisive issue, um, politically. And I feel like uh, unfortunately, you know, I think it's something like only 15% of Americans has a passport. You know, most people don't leave the U.S. They maybe don't even leave their state and they don't, so they don't know what migration looks like. You know, they only know what they hear from perhaps the president or Fox News. Um, and I think it's important for them to hear what it looks like from migrants, from people who are fleeing, from, you know, from the perspective, because a lot of times, you know, what are people fleeing? They're fleeing climate change. Climate change is not something that you can blame on a single person. You can't say, oh, that person was lazy. They should have stayed in their country. And I, I, I know that Plenty of Americans don't want to recognize climate change, but it exists and it has a huge impact on migration. And I think that's something that people should be thinking about.
What would you say to young people today who want to pursue a career in journalism? Um, you you really got to love uh, storytelling and, and interviewing and you've got to love what you do because it's a, it is a difficult career choice. It's not necessarily well paid. Um, lots of newspapers are having layoffs and so you really got to hustle, but that that said, I wouldn't. I, there's nothing else in the world that I would rather be doing. Um, and I think when you're doing something that moves you, that you feel is contributing to society, um, people recognize that, and and you know that's what we need more of. How did how did you get started in journalism, and did your upbringing in Arkansas have any part in what you're doing today? So I have a very non-traditional path. I always wanted to be a writer ever since I was little growing up in Arkansas. I have boxes and boxes of journals and notes and letters and books. I always was writing, and also I grew up without a TV, so... I think that I, I just read a lot of books and I always loved reading. Um, but also I come from a family that doesn't have, um, doesn't have very much money. So I knew that anything I did, I would have to support myself. Um, so I went to a college in, in Eastern Kentucky that, um, that has no tuition and you work for the school. It's called Berea college. It's a really beautiful model for education that I wish the U S had more of. Um, and I graduated with no debt, which was really essential for the kind of life I'm living. Cause I don't make very much money. And then, um, I didn't, I didn't know how to make money writing. So I got a fellowship to get a PhD in literature in Latin American literature. So I took that at the university of Kentucky. Uh, and I used that time to write as when I wrote my book. And then when I graduated, I got a, a fellowship in Mexico at the national university in Mexico city. I knew I wanted to live in Mexico city and I knew I wanted to write. So that's when I started freelancing as a journalist and I had, you know, I learned on my own, basically pitching, like sending things to editors. Um, you know, I make, I make my own stories. I sell my stories. Everything that I do is, is, you know, me doing things because there's nobody in an office. I don't have a boss. There's no structure. You know, I make the structure for my life and my work. So uh, what do you love or, or uh, like about Mexico City? Um, so I first studied in Mexico when I was 21. And um, growing up in rural Arkansas, I grew up in a town of 200. I never, my family never traveled outside of the U.S. Um, I did not learn another language. The local school was pretty abysmal. I went to a public school. I didn't learn Spanish or anything. And so I didn't learn Spanish until college. And when I went to Mexico, it just changed my life. Like I wanted to speak another language. I really loved culturally the city is super vibrant, so many museums um, and street life. And in, just for telling stories, this city is 
you will never run out of ideas. So I, I just fell in love with it and I, I wanted to live here. Um, you know, living in a place like Mexico City, you know, there's a lot of stuff you want to do. Um, are you ever able to split your time between, you know, downtime and working? Well, that's the kind of the compliment, the complicated thing about, uh, you know, about freelancing, working for myself is <clears throat> I do whatever I want, but I am also essentially working all the time. But it's also because I'm sort of obsessively love my work so um so it is kind of sometimes hard for me to actually take a break but I but I do travel a lot like last year I was in New Zealand Myanmar I was all over I mean I did a lot of I was in Switzerland uh working in Mexico El Salvador so I'm doing a lot of projects and sometimes I get downtime when I'm traveling but you know, it's that's it's hard to define because I'm always, you know, my own boss. Um, what projects have you done so far that you're most proud of or that stand out in your mind when you're asked to talk about a project? Let's see. I recently did a really um a really beautiful piece. Well, this was in maybe November. I worked with Time magazine um on a piece about the migrant caravan that came through Mexico and is now in Tijuana. Um, and they gave me a really amazing photographer. Um, his name's Jerome Sesany. And so I, that was a piece I was really proud of because it was something that um, there were a lot of media covering the migrant caravan. And so I wanted to do something that was, was a little bit different um, and more intimate in terms of looking at who was traveling with the caravan. Um, so that's something I'm proud of. And then I've got sort of a longer term project that I've been working on with the site called Long Reads. Um, and it's a series of pieces on migration. I write about one piece every six months. And so that's something that's in the long term. I hope it will be a book. And that's, um, really been my life for the past two years. Um, traveling through all these different, you know, caravans and cities and meeting all these different types of people, have you ever found any element from those rubbing off on you? Um, in terms of things I'm learning from other people? Or? Um, you know, just maybe characteristics of things or different aspects of culture? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, um, I love Latin America and I feel like because I study Latin American literature, I have a, I feel a very deep connection to, to the literature, culture, language. Um, and when I'm traveling, I really appreciate, um, for example, even traveling in Mexico often, um, older generations will still recite poetry from memory. Um, like when you're driving or when you're, and I find that something that's really moving um, and that I don't know that I see or have seen so much in the U.S. It's like a culture, there's a very literary culture and there's a lot of respect for museums and art and theater and, um, and that's something I really appreciate when I'm traveling. 
What is something that you wish more people knew about the caravans that you travel in or even those that have crossed illegally in the past? Well, they haven't crossed illegally. That's the thing. Um, These members of the caravan in the majority are coming to request asylum, which is their legal right. It's an international right. So that's something that President Trump and his administration have um, incorrectly spoken about um, in because of these caravans have been happening for a long time before President Trump. Um, the only thing that's new is that, you know, he's in office and he is a racist. I'm going to say that because he is. Um, and so, so what I wish people knew is that the caravans happen every year um, and that asylum people it, can request asylum in the U S it doesn't mean that they're going to get asylum Um, but they can request it and it's a legal process that we internationally, uh, have to uphold. So, and then the other thing is that, you know, the caravan that I traveled with, the one that's in Tijuana now, 50% of the members of the caravan, over 50% were children. So I feel like the U S media, you know, and mainly Fox news says, you know, these are gang members and they're going to murder you. And, you know, I traveled with them. They, you know, I'm sure there's bad people like there are everywhere, but they were very kind to me. I shared food with them. I, you know, I held babies They're, you know, they're just normal people who have unfortunately experienced very different, you know, difficult circumstances. Um, and I think, it's important not to demonize migrants. Um, what? Well, first of all, thanks for um, taking time out of your day to talk to us here. No, of course. I'm really glad I could talk to you. Um, what advice would you give um, to girls listening to this podcast? The advice that I would give you is to just do exactly, exactly what you love and don't listen to society or men, or anybody who tells you that because you're a woman, all the t- I mean, a lot of times people tell me, oh, you, you shouldn't travel wherever I'm going because it's dangerous. Um, but that's not true. I'm very, I'm bilingual. I love planning. I love what I do. And I'm good at it. And so I think you should always have faith and courage in what, what moves you. And, and don't let other people tell you not to do what you want to do. Um, well, thank you for telling us these stories. I think what you're doing is super important. And I wish you luck in everything that you do from this point onward. Oh, thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you.